This is Dr. Kate Walker reminding you that I am not that kind of doctor. Not only that, I'm not a CPA and I am not an attorney. Laws change all of the time, so Texas counselors creating badass businesses should never be construed as legal advice. Always check with your trusted professionals. Now, let's get to work. Welcome to Texas Counselors Creating Badass Businesses, where it's all about working smarter, not harder. And here's your host, Dr. Kate Walker, who drinks sparkling water way more than the average person. Have you ever wondered how supervision could help you build a big practice? Well, my guest today, Amanda Esquivel, is going to tell us how supervision helped her build her multi-specialty, multi-location practice in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Now, let's get to work. It's Dr. Kate Walker, and I'm welcoming Amanda Esquivel with her practice, Room for Change, and she's going to talk to us today about how she has incorporated clinical supervision into her multi-specialty, multi-location, amazing practice that does uh, wonderful things for her community. So welcome, Amanda, and thank you so much for, for being here with me today and answering my questions. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So tell me about this practice of yours, this, this wonderful thing that has grown. I mean, just tell me all about it. Yeah. So, um, almost nine years ago became a mama and, uh, I don't know if it was a mix of hormones or what was going on, but I quit my job at the time I was working in community mental health and started my practice way back when it was just called Counselor Amanda because I was solo with no plans of expansion, had my little 113 square foot office and um, yeah, became a, a supervisor a couple years later and um, we're now at uh, four locations, 32 counselors across those locations. Um, and those clinicians are a combination of master students from a couple of universities here in the area that we have uh, good working relationships with, associates under my supervision, and a new supervisor that I just brought on part-time. So I'm sharing that role that's brand new as, as of this month, and um, independently licensed LPCs as well. So as you mentioned, multidisciplinary, luckily with 32 clinicians, we're able to have tons of specialties. So when somebody calls in, as long as they're looking for services over the, for a person over the age of 12, we're able to provide services in most cases. Wow. Okay. So supervision, did supervision always play a role in your growth or did it just kind of happen organically and then it helped you build or how did, how did supervision play a role in your growth? Yeah. So just to take a step back for a moment, my role right before starting my practice, I was clinical director of a local community mental health center. And so when I went into private practice, it was quite lonely as you, uh, as you mm -hmm. know, it can be. And I really missed that role of, of clinical supervisor and 
So a couple years in as a, a solo practitioner was able to upgrade my license. And I really sat on it for after I got the, the S credential, sat on it for a couple of months before somebody found me online. And I guess the rest is history at this point. But um, he uh, he sought me out and um, about six months after uh, meeting um, him, and bringing him on. Um, he wanted to just see clients in my pra uh, practice part-time because he had another full-time gig. Um, and then about six months after meeting him, met another supervisee and then another. And um, I think part of my um, ability to grow the practice has been able uh, through great retention of supervisees once they upgrade their license. So that very first supervisee still is employed uh, by me now full-time. Wow. And we talk about that, or I talk about it, because people ask me about hiring. And I, I say, you know, the best way to hire is just to grow them from graduate students. And that sounds like what right. you've done. Right. It's definitely the long game, though, <laughs> to invest in a supervisee or at this stage now I have former students that are upgrading their licenses to LPCs now. I almost feel like a grandma saying wow. that. But, um, but uh, yeah, so it's definitely a long-term game, but I know what they've been exposed to. I know what to expect of them because I was the one that taught them at some time or another how to handle CPS cases, what professionalism in this uh, field looks like, what treatment planning looks like. And so um, you kind of go into it blind if you, uh, it, it based off of may maybe a good interview, but um, you go into it blind when you hire somebody that hasn't been under your supervision. I'm Dr. Kate Walker, and this episode is brought to you by the 40-hour training to become a supervisor in Texas. Not just any training, but the Kate Walker 40-hour LPC LMFT supervisor training completely online. It's the only all-in-one 40-hour LPC LMFT supervisor training course and community designed to grow your skill set and give you more research-based resources all in less than 30 minutes a day. No bots, no BS, just a great course to get you up to supervisor. The Kate Walker Training 40-hour LPC LMFT Supervisor Training Course. Check it out. So do you think then being the supervisor and growing your colleagues along with hiring, that's helped you grow and it's been part of your plan? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because I, I'm very, very type A, maybe to a fault. And so most things in my life are very, very planned out. Um, this was not planned out. When I started my private practice, I 
it was about six months or a year in before I realized this is really lonely. I really miss that supervision piece. And um, then I thought, you know, I'll just supervise a couple of people. It, there was not this intention or this thought on my end that I would uh, expand this way. But um, so it's, it's one part, uh, very organic, although most every other part of my practice is very, very intentional. So ethical issues, what are the ethical issues in supervision, especially in a group practice with all of these people in different locations? What do, what do you feel like they are? Yeah, so making sure I want to, I want room for change to always have a small mom and pop feel, but that's really hard to do once we expand, mm -hmm. but keeping a close eye on um making sure paperwork is up to date, that when we're seeing multiple family members, as we do, it's really heartwarming to have a family come in and teenager goes up the hallway with one therapist and mom and pop go up the hallway with another therapist or siblings. Uh, but there's, we have to be very intentional with making sure that we have appropriate releases signed so those clinicians can collaborate on cases when appropriate. Um, the primary thing is making sure that um, our supervision time is not eaten up by administrative uh, questions and housekeeping. Um, I do make sure that I schedule time with them routinely outside of supervision to make sure that we're addressing those things and like onboarding, all of that is very separate from supervision. I think that's probably the biggest error that uh, a supervisor can make when bringing on supervisees is meshing those two roles. Um, but it's also really hard to be aware of when you're stepping out in and out of those two roles. Uh, yeah. Whenever possible, handing that over to somebody else would be ideal. I remember when I did the the two roles, I would say out loud, okay, this is clinical supervision. Okay, this is administrative. And if they tried to, to cross over and ask a clinical question during that administrative time, I would be like, uh-uh-uh. Right. That's clinical because <laughs> yeah, I had a small, small, it wasn't even a medium sized practice. It was, it was really small. Right. But I had to play those two roles. Do you ever find that too? I mean, do you have to say out loud? Uh, uh That's, that's administrative. Yeah. Um, so part of my supervision process is for each supervision hour, they have to turn in a supervision check-in sheet and that lists out the topics that they'd like to address that day. And so we can walk into the hour knowing, okay, this is something that needs to be separated into our administrative time together. Um, that really helps me manage it. Um, and then other times, you know, it'll come up in an email or something like that. If it's something administrative that's super simple to respond to in an email, great. If it is something that we need to dig in um, more clinically, um, I'll say let's schedule let's move up your supervision time or let's address this in your next supervision hour. I love the idea of a check-in. I mean, is that yes. something you'd be willing to share? Oh um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. I, <laughs> I would think, love to put that out there. Yeah. So um, I modeled mine after, after um, paperwork that was given to me when mm -hmm. I did my supervisor training and I've, you know, edited about once a year to keep up with what my current needs are, but being able to, uh, to know at the start of the hour, what the super, super, 
by Z's uh, needs are and to be able to manage that time. Because if I leave it up to the supervisee, we're looking at like minute 58 and they've only talked about one case versus if I have this supervision check-in sheet at the top of the hour, I can pace us and make sure that if you've got four things listed, we can't be spending 45 minutes of our time just on one of those topics. Um, that was a big add-on for me. The other big add-on was uh, having the supervisee complete their own supervision note. Um, for years, I was handwriting them and then typing them up and putting them into their file, spending all of this time. And then uh, somebody at TASES a few years ago said, like, it's not important what you take away from the supervision hour. It's important what they take away from the supervision hour. If only we could apply that to clients, right? Um, but uh, now supervisees uh, get to log into the, our health record system. They have a, a mock chart for supervision mm -hmm. and I have a template created in there. So they're able to add their notes from that time. And then I'm able to go back in and say we we did talk specifically about a rule. I can add that rule in there because they're not always great about, you know, adding that type of thing in. But sharing that responsibility with them was a really big game changer. Well, that's huge. I mean, especially you're still in the supervisor role mm -hmm. while you're running this big practice. And so you have to be so efficient with your time and yet super clinical and, and ethical and all of those things. And these are, these are great solutions. I love that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, these things have definitely made it um, a game changer for me. Also having them do that supervision check-in sheet um, eliminates the, well, I don't know what I want to talk about today. They've given some thought to that time and it's just a much more rich experience uh, when they when they have a little bit of time to think about it before the session. I like that. It puts that on them. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Okay, so we were talking about barriers and problems and I'm I'm reading this because when you when I think when I made this question, when I think about barriers or problems, um, lack of time, lack of space, lack of trust or shared understanding to the purpose of the supervision, clinical versus administrative supervision. It sounds like that checklist mitigates a lot of that, mm -hmm. the barrier to a good clinical supervision. But what about time and, and just, you know, being a big practice owner? And I, and I, again, I, one of my trigger words is people telling me I'm busy. So I, <laughs> I respect that, that you have this amazing practice and you have amazing systems in place. So how do you handle the time and, and the space for supervision? Yeah. So as far as managing the time goes, um, I do two hours of individual, two hours of group a month. Um, and the, uh, the dates for group supervision are rolled out in October for the whole next year. So I touch it one time a year and then it's set up and it's, you know, already there. Um, the dates are rolled out in October and then in December, we all meet as a group and they get to build their own um, supervision topics for the coming year and what roles they want to play and what roles they want me to play in the group supervision. 
So I've shared on the um, page before that uh, we've done it actually having like a physical gingerbread house. And so they're building the gingerbread house mm -hmm. is group supervision and what to expect from each other as peers, as well as, like I said, what to expect from me. That really helps share uh, the sense of responsibility over group, um, group supervision. Um, for individual supervision, I do outsource the scheduling of that to my administrative team, uh, which is a game changer. It's like one of those small, really small time savers, but really big thing too. Um, and we schedule those at least a month out, sometimes up to three months out. So again, the supervisee knows when they have supervision and I don't really have to think about it. I just look at my schedule and I just make sure that we're um, staying with the pace of what they need for, for their licensure. Um, more globally speaking, at this point in my career, I see very few clients directly myself. So as I've um, grown the business uh, and, and taken on more supervisees, I see fewer clients. So at this stage, I only see maybe four or five clients a week. Most of my time is uh, split between supervision and the business development part. Um, but I had to, I had to grieve not seeing clients directly as much. Um, and uh, now I'm starting to grieve not having my hands on every supervisee that comes through because now I'm sharing the role um, with somebody that I hired um, to, to provide some uh, supervision. These are specifically for students that um, completed their practicum and internship with us, and I really didn't want to lose them, but I, I could not take on any more supervisees. I had to have that reckoning that I needed to cut it off somewhere, and so now I'm able to share that role with someone else that is coming on and, and uh, providing individual supervision to those students that have now graduated. Okay, so that business plan of growing your graduate students into your colleagues, you're capturing these really, really great people with this second supervisor. And so how was it to hire a second supervisor? I really went back and forth on this decision. Um, the type of supervision I provide is not the type of supervision that I um know that other supervisors are providing out there. Um, and so I needed to find somebody that I felt mirrored me pretty well. Um, I did, I'm not looking for my exact replica, but I needed somebody that sees supervision in a similar way, that mm -hmm. sees my business in a similar way. Um, because if, if we're at odds, um, the the direction because um the direction that we're going to give to these supervisees is going to be quite confusing because i still although i'm sharing supervision with her i'm still their boss and i'm still the owner of room for change with a clear direction of where we're going as a practice and so, so yeah, very you guys have to align i mean that's it's hard enough and just speaking for myself it's hard enough when you know your supervisee has a second supervisor somewhere out there, right? And you've got yeah. to communicate and make sure you're not contradicting each other. Right. But when you hire them on, there's a vetting process. And now you've got this, like you said, I mean, you have to know that everybody's on the same page with your strategic plan as well. 
Exactly. And that, I mean, that highlights a couple of decisions that I've made along the way. One, I don't share supervisees anymore. If a supervisee, and this is where what I think clinically and what I think for the business are at odds with one another. Mm -hmm. Clinically, I believe having multiple supervisors can be a very rich experience and having multiple sites can be a very rich experience. I know that's what my experience was when I was an intern back in the day. However, for the business, we want full-time um, clinicians. We want people that can really invest in their work at Room for Change and not be distracted by outside work. And so, um, you know, again, what I would want for them clinically as a supervisor, if I just have that hat on, diversify your experience, diversify your supervision. But what I want and looking for as a business owner is I, I want you invested in this and not distracted by other things. And so along the way, I've made these decisions about I don't offer offsite supervision anymore. I don't share supervision with other people anymore, with the exception of this one that I just hired on. Um, and I don't supervise people that, yeah, have offsite supervisors. Great. I mean, that's something, you know, you're in the same group I am, the, the recently rebranded Texas Supervisor Coalition. Uh, and, and that comes up a lot, you know, sharing and, and the problems that are inherent with that. So I, I, I hear you. I totally see how that would, would be a thing as a business owner. Um, yeah. And so maybe ending on that, what are some comments you would give or some advice that you would give someone thinking about becoming a supervisor and who also has dreams and aspirations of growing a practice? Yeah. So lean heavily on your peers. Um, the uh, the page is an excellent resource. Um, I know that I have local su fellow supervisors that I lean on as well. Seek business consultation. I know there's a, a handful of us that offer, you know, business consultation on, you know, how to navigate this on a technical level, but also processing through how to hand this on, handle this on an emotional and relational level as well. Um, I will say I made a decision last year that I'm now kicking myself for. So um, I did change. Um, I used to charge for supervision. And for my full-timers, I added that as a benefit that supervision is now free. Um, I wish I had stayed with <laughs> with charging for tell it. Tell me more, you know, because yeah. that's one of the things I talk about. Yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah. So for one, that was me walking away from about $35,000 a year because I, I do supervise so many associates. Um, so that was a hit to the pocketbook that I wasn't, it was close to the holidays when I made that decision. So maybe I was overly uh, generous around that time of year. But I also think that when people have financial skin in the game, that they value uh, the supervision a little bit more because they're paying for it. I know that I feel a little bit more indebted uh, to quality supervision when somebody's paying for it mm -hmm. versus uh, when I'm giving it away for free. So I think that for mindset wise, it actually works better for both parties to be um, to be paying for and receiving uh, payment for supervision. So 
Um, I don't know how I'll undo that at some point um, <laughs> to go from paid to free is that was a huge gift to them. That was what equivalent of like a $3,000 uh, pay increase. Uh, but to go from free to paid, I'm not exactly sure how I'll do that. I'll end up probably grandfathering some people in and mm -hmm. maybe navigating it that way. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. I love but it. That, and that is a piece of advice that I would recommend is really consider that from all angles before pursuing. I, I love that you're saying this because business owners, we change our minds. I mean, we try things out and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right. And you're allowed to be flexible and pivot and all of those things. So yeah, good on you. Yeah. And I'm, you know, when I make those big pivots, when I change my mind and like what can be seen by other people as drastic um, ways, I can say, how much I want to be transparent on that topic. Mm -hmm. So with my with my staff, I can choose how much of the decision making I want to share with them and say like, this is why I'm making this change. And it's not necessarily to justify myself. I'm justified in whatever I choose for my business because I'm the owner, um, but more so to help them understand like that this comes from a good place in me that I'm not trying to hurt anybody or set anybody back, but that it would, these decisions are all made in an effort to help insulate this business. So it's something that, you know, I can hand down to my children if they choose to come into this field. I love that. And so I'm going to put in our show notes, contact information, because you do offer consultation to yes. business owners, correct? Yeah. I especially love, um, three areas of consultation with other business owners. Um, those that are going from solo practice into group practice, because there's a lot to consider. It's not rinse and repeat when you bring on other staff. So I really love that. I really enjoy helping. It's through a consultation lens, but addressing emotionally the barriers to business ownership, because what makes us great therapists does not make us good business owners. They can, it can actually very much work against you. And then number three is how to create the physical space for counseling. Our offices are known as being very cozy and homelike and, um, so it's not a sterile place for people to go into. So I really help. I love helping people create their space as well. Yeah, I remember when you rebranded the Room for Change, and and you posted pictures of your offices, and I know that was a big uh, push for you. Was that people felt at home in your in your office? Yeah, super intentional with the lighting and you know, the textures and what we choose to decorate with. And so I really enjoy helping others that maybe that's, maybe decor is not their strong suit um, and helping <laughs> them, you know, design on a dime. Um, so I enjoyed that. Oh, that's wonderful. Definitely, definitely going in the show notes. Um, and if you want to make a t-shirt that says, I'm the boss, I'm happy to <laughs> wear it and and publicize that for you. Um <laughs> Anything else you want to add? No, um, I've enjoyed our, our chat today and I love uh, being able to weigh in on uh, the two groups that you have and they're just valuable, valuable resources. 
Thank you so much. I'm glad to have you in the group. You are a valuable member. I love seeing your comments. And when you pop in there, I always know it's going to be great information. So thank awesome. you. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining me today, Counselor Amanda, with Room for Change. And I will see you in a second. Everyone else, thanks. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Y'all take care. I'm Dr. Kate Walker, and this episode is brought to you by the 40-hour training to become a supervisor in Texas. Not just any training, but the Kate Walker 40-hour LPC LMFT supervisor training completely online. It's the only all-in-one 40-hour LPC LMFT supervisor training course and community designed to grow your skill set and give you more research-based resources all in less than 30 minutes a day. No bots, no BS, just a great course to get you up to supervisor. The Kate Walker Training 40-hour LPC LMFT supervisor training course. Check it out.